If you'd like to see images of the aliens and other things discussed in this episode, check out the video version on our YouTube channel. I know we've been rather UFO and alien heavy in the last few weeks as we lead up to the U.S. military disclosure on the subject, which is scheduled for June 25th or so, though who knows if that'll actually happen. Many have speculated as to what exactly will be shared. Most likely, it'll be small bits and pieces and possibly admissions that A, there really are strange craft that behave oddly in our skies, and B, that's kind of all we know. We don't know who they are, where they come from, and what they want. Fortunately for us, the Russians started compiling a detailed handbook for an elite group of KGB and Smirsh agents back in 1946 that lists out information on 58 separate alien races that have visited our planet. A sort of field guide to aliens, if you will. A very thorough compendium of who comes here and what they want, if we know. We often talk about the aliens. What do the aliens want? Are the aliens nice? Are the aliens not nice? We talk about them as if they are a single group with a single motivation. But what if they're not? What if the truth is much messier? That's the tale that emerges from this astonishing book, a tale of literally thousands of alien races, all of them interested in our planet, some of them interested in humans, all working at cross purposes from a number of different perspectives with a number of different motivations and goals. This seems like a much more realistic answer to the question, what is out there? There are good guys and bad guys, and some aliens just don't seem to care very much about us at all. They do seem to care about our planet, however, which apparently is in a pretty special place. But some of the alien races also see potential in us humans. And at the very least, it is great source material for dozens and dozens and dozens of entertaining stories. We're going to look at some of the vast array of alien races that come here, according to this book, and along the way learn about the origin of our species and some of the secrets of the universe. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to... The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. A Field Guide to Aliens the Russian book was published in 2017 by a marketing guy named Gil Carlson, who'd taken over the Blue Planet Project. This is not to be confused with another organization, which is also called the Blue Planet Project, that's an eco-oriented group that's actually very worthwhile. No, this Blue Planet Project might better be called the Blue Planet Conspiracy, which one of Carlson's books actually does call it. And it's all about how aliens are real, governments know about them and cover it all up, blah, 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 blah. 
Carlson started off writing things like 76 Powerful Ways to Turn Your Website into a Money Machine, a three-volume series called Secrets of Freelance Copywriting Tips, Twitter Marketing Secrets, and the confusingly titled Mail Order Millionaire Copywriting Headlines. But then he got into the UFO thing and has been making spiral-bound versions of books, which means he's been using the Kinko's Publishing House and eBooks available for Kindle, ranging from $3.29 to $6.59 on Amazon. Though, if you buy the same books through his website, they are much more expensive. The books are about things like remote viewing, past lives, the Montauk Project, the supposed dangers of 5G, the shadow government, which of course is run by the Illuminati, secret government projects, Nibiru, UFO sightings and crashes, alien abductions, alien bases on Earth and the Moon, human-alien hybrids, etc., etc. Apparently, he has found his jam. He's a marketing guy, and he's decided that this is his niche market. In such a catalog of books, it is very unlikely that he actually came across an actual KGB smirsh book that the Russians had been working on since the end of World War II. It's much more likely that, like all the other things he writes, he just made it up. But it's a great story nonetheless. The story of how he got his hands on this top-secret Soviet book is this. He met a Ukrainian named Petro in 2004 at a beach bar while on holiday, and they became fast friends, frequently meeting up at each other's homes. In 2008, they went on a road trip to visit Petro's brother in Spain and then his father, a Ukrainian diplomat who'd retired to Portugal. While they were in Portugal, Dad asked if they'd help clear out some old stuff so he could have another guest room. The stuff was 58 boxes of documents and books, all in Russian, many of them from the Soviet era. The two friends thought, well, this was pretty cool, and they decided to keep all the stuff, and Petra spent some of his spare time translating things. At the bottom of one of these boxes was a book, this book, this primer on alien races. When asked about it, Dad said that he'd been sent this copy from an old pal, and he'd been updating it himself over the years with information from old diplomat friends, which he got in face-to-face conversations or phone calls or letters and later in emails. So the book had lots of notations in the margins. When asked why the pictures of the aliens in the books really did sometimes look like they came from movies or video games, Dad explained that, well, there used to be pencil drawings in there, but over time, people had simply taken various media images that were actually better depictions than the drawings. Why would this be? Well, this is partly because descriptions and images of the aliens had been being leaked to various media sources over the years in an effort to sort of acclimate people to the idea of aliens and their appearance. You know how most media in the world is owned by just a handful of companies? This is so that only a few men can control these images. Alien likenesses have been co-opted into films like Independence Day and video games, especially the very popular Mass Effect game series, in which almost all of the aliens are based on actual, real alien races. Mm -hmm. A great explanation that certainly covers the fact that so many of the alien pictures in this book are so clearly taken from other sources. But then another copy of the book came their way, a 1980s edition, so much more up-to-date with official info. 
this had been in the possession of a KGB agent in eastern Siberia who'd sold some of the images and information to various companies after the Soviet Union collapsed and government paychecks just sort of stopped coming in. Petro did some of the translation work, as I'd said, but most of it was done by a, quote, former special services sergeant from Europe named Dante Santori. The book starts with a page attributed to Chief Marshal Konstantin A. Vershinin, a highly decorated World War II veteran who was Marshal of Aviation in 1946. This message from the Chief Marshal is addressed to Smirsch agents. Smirsch was the Soviet counterintelligence arm of the Secret Services. It extorts them to be quiet about what they learn here, destroy the book rather than let it fall into the hands of others, and not to lose it or they would be in big trouble. The agent who is their companion would be in big trouble, and so would their immediate relatives. There's also another warning saying no talking to other people about what you learn about aliens, no drinking or doing drugs on or off duty, no helping aliens in anything, no matter which side of an issue you agree with, and no, quote, sexual activities with any members of an alien race. It seems they sure knew their people well. The book's organization is not something I can figure out. Maybe it's alphabetical in Russian or something, but it's certainly not alphabetical in English. But contained in there is information on numerous alien races, the ways that they interact, their alliances, and so on, and a rich, detailed story that includes the origins of the human race. Origin Story Aliens are responsible for us humans existing in the first place, it turns out. Who knew? Well, the Russians, that's who. And a bunch of people on YouTube. The Anunnaki. Somewhat as outlined in a previous episode about the Lucifer Project, the Anunnaki or Anukane are beings who live on Nibiru. Nibiru is a planet in our solar system, but that is undetected by us. Every 4,000 years or so, its erratic orbit brings it in close to the sun. Now, some people who talk about Nibiru think it's every 3,500 years, but they are misinformed. It's really 4,000. The Anunnaki look like tall, well-built humans, about eight feet tall. That's two and a half meters. They are the source of ancient tales of giants, or at least one of the sources. They came here to Earth and found lots of other aliens living on this planet, some of them rather nasty and some of them with what we might call supernatural abilities. They decided they wanted the earth for themselves and they waged war on all those aliens and defeated them, driving them away. Now lords of the planet, they needed workers to mine materials, so they found some kind of smart primate creatures crawling around here and engineered them to be a little bit smarter and a little more adept to become their slaves. Other aliens continued to come here because, as I said, Earth is special. We'll talk about that later. But the Anunnaki pretty much ignored them, except for possibly two, the Kurs and the Zeta Reticulans. The Kurs are also known as the gods of lands. They come from the planet Dilamuns. No idea where that is. They might be related to the Anunnaki in a very distant way, but they don't look like humans. They look kind of like geckos. They extend their lives by spending a good deal of time in a gold-like liquid. The Kurs were directly involved in the creation of the human race, and they are the source of the ancient stories of the Sumerian goddesses Enlil and Nenlil. They left Earth for a long time, but now they are back, and they have some permanent bases here. The Zeta Reticuli are also known as the Shamptpala, from, no surprise, Zeta Reticuli, a binary star in the southern constellation of Reticulum, which means the net. When we talk about aliens, we usually talk about what are commonly known as the greys, and many people think that the Zeta Reticulans are those greys. You know what I mean. 
big head, really big oval eyes, pale with spindly arms like what you'd seen in X-Files or Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But the greys are actually another race that looks very similar. There are a lot of physical similarities. Apparently, this is a pretty common body type out there in the cosmos. The Zetas have been coming to Earth for at least 6,000 years, probably longer. They're pals with the Anunnaki and often cooperate with them. So, you had the Anunnaki, you had these primate-type slaves, maybe you had the Kurs hanging around, and the Zeta Reticulans. Then, one of the Anunnaki saw some kind of potential in these primate slaves made from the local fauna, and he decided it was time to uplift them into a much smarter species. He did this by mixing in DNA from many different alien races. And lo and behold, Homo sapiens sapiens was created. The fact that we are such a combination of different races is what makes us very unique in the galaxy. The Anunnaki rulers of Earth, a pair named Samael and Lilith, decided it was time for their race to leave here and return to their home world of Nibiru. Maybe this is because of this uplift project. Now those, those monkeys were no good as slaves anymore. Maybe there were other factors, I don't know. But anyway, they decided to leave and that one day they would return. The Coors went with them and they left behind a subspecies of the Zeta Reticulans who had been engineered to look more like humans but with weirdly elongated heads, kind of cone-shaped in the back. These engineered Zeta Reticulans would become the pharaohs of ancient Egypt. However, a group of reptilians, boo, hiss, more on them later, were hiding out here and wormed their way into the Egyptian hierarchy as temple priests, eventually taking over after deposing Pharaoh Akhenaten in 1334 BCE. They besmirched the names of the Anunnaki rulers, spreading the idea that Samuel is the destroyer and the seducer, basically a prototype for the Christian Satan. And Lilith was the first wife of Adam, but then she had sex with the demon Samuel and was cast out of the Garden of Eden. That's how the story ends up evolving into the Abrahamic religions. But those stories all actually originated in Egypt and the Fertile Crescent and were about actual things. Lilith eventually in mythology morphs into a night hag and succubus that inhabits the night and steals children. Some of those bioengineered Zetas from the days of the pharaohs are still alive here on Earth, as well as a few in their original form, but nobody really knows where they are or what they're up to. The Anunnaki still pay close attention to what happens here. In fact, the Zeta Reticulans who have remained send reports back to them on Nibiru every two weeks or so, and they've even intervened in human affairs from time to time, albeit secretly. With the Anunnaki gone, humans took over the top slot in the food chain, but our history is not always what we think, and we are not alone on this planet. Nice, nice guy, guy aliens! aliens. aliens. So as I said, lots and lots of different aliens visit Earth. Some of them are on our side, or at least they would like us to reach our full potential and prevent all the jerk aliens from either messing us up or taking us over. Sometimes we've come across in this podcast before, notably the greys, the classic looking greys that I talked about, and the Nordics who look like very attractive Swedes or Norwegians, Scandinavian human types with pale skin, very tall, long blonde hair. First, we'll talk about the greys. As I said, people think the Zeta Reticulans are greys, but they're not. The greys are actually the Solipsi Rai. They come from the constellation Cygnus the Swan. They're an ancient race, over 2 billion years old. 
They are related to the Amethyr who created the Council of Five. There'll be more about that later. When we talk about the grays, this is who we're talking about. They are gray or kind of gray-green. They have bulges at the back and base of their very large heads, and they have four fingers and, of course, the big eyes and no hair. It was a Solipsy Rye ship that crashed at Roswell in 1947. They have a single leader for the whole species named E. Martin. They don't have colonies, but they do pay attention to various races and development uh, around the galaxy, trying to kind of shepherd them along. Though they are peaceful, some say they have an incredibly powerful weapon that they use as a deterrent for anybody messing with them. Once in the past, five enemy ships challenge them, and they vaporize them with a single blast, and that kind of put an end to that. The Solipsi Rai are friends to humanity and say that we can still secure a permanent future for our species and avoid disaster. They say there are still 645 options available to us in the next couple of thousand years, which is an oddly specific number. However, the key thing is we must develop interstellar space travel. So basically, we need to become the Federation from Star Trek. So they're the most friendly interventionist group of aliens, but there are other nice aliens as well. As we go through this list of aliens, you will have to forgive me for the pronunciation because there is no pronunciation guide in the book, and so I'm just kind of winging it here. There are the Afim, who come from a planet called Crimea El Petri, which has a hydrogen-based atmosphere. They, again, look like the classic alien Smaller than humans, blue spots on their skin. The males have darker spots. They have super advanced tech. And even though they're way far away, they can get to Earth in 20 minutes or so from their home world in their small round ships. They had a war a long time ago with a race called the Spianzi, who were much bigger and much more powerful than they were. But they won, so they added the name of their vanquished foes to their own as a warning to others to not mess with them because they could hold their own. And so they call themselves the Afin Spianzi. However, they are not violent despite having this war. They have 10 colony planets, which they took over through non-violent means. Strange thing is that when they get near us humans, they become invisible, though humans will feel unease and anxiety when they're near. They come here mainly to study what they call the human deviation, because there is something quite unusual about us. There are the Akart, also classic alien-looking, but with triple ridges on their heads. They have the fastest ships of any alien race, maybe a little too fast since one of their cigar-shaped craft crashed near Varginha in Brazil in 1996, an event now known as the Varginha UFO incident. Witnesses to the event said they saw aliens that were 1.6 meters tall, biped, large head, thin body, V-shaped feet, rubbery brown skin, kind of oily all over, large red eyes, and smell very strongly of ammonia. The Brazilian military found the crash survivors and took them to a military base outside of Sao Paulo, and then the U.S. government paid the Brazilians several billion dollars to get their hands on a couple of those survivors. The Jeffok, very advanced tech, known as the Peacemakers by other aliens. They started visiting Earth around 1500 BCE or so, and in late 1963, they met with several world leaders, including John F. Kennedy, less than three weeks before his assassination. After JFK was killed, they left Earth and they have not returned. However, they did send a message in 1965 to all nuclear-capable human governments. However, the contents of that message is unknown to the authors of this book. There are the Movianthan Kaifik, 
or the Shining Ones. Also classic looking, they've been coming here for ages, played a big role in the development of the cultures of Siberia and Tibet. They have given some of their technology to Earth governments in exchange for being allowed to abduct humans. Nobody really knows what they want with them. They've met two U.S. presidents and a few Russian leaders as well. They have some permanent bases here, always on the north side of a mountain, and have colonized at least 40 planets outside our solar system. So now we have the Nordics. As I said, the Nordics all look like big, tall Scandinavians. The main group are the Pleiadians, which we've talked about in a previous episode. They're another ancient race. They have long, thin ships, sometimes tubes. As I said, they're very tall. They can get up to eight feet tall, two and a half meters. They're very spiritually and mentally advanced, and they're very into something called sex cultivation. <clears throat> They visit Earth a lot in their beam ships, as they call them, but they've been keeping on the down low for the last 12,000 years. And then there's a Nordic group that is just known as 2017. They are from another galaxy, galaxy UDF 39546284 in the Fornax constellation, about 13.2 billion light years away. They travel by bending space-time with a wormhole. They're what some aliens call a mystery race because we don't really know very much about them. And they've only contacted human beings once in 1935 in the Soviet Union. They're reported to be kind of tall Nordic types, long blonde hair, they smelled like flowers, and spoke a Slavic-sounding language. The Council, the Council of, Five. of Five. So I mentioned earlier there's something called the Council of Five. This is an alliance of alien races. Five of them, obviously, though it used to be the Council of Nine, and now it's just the Council of Five, so four apparently dropped out. They are sworn to protect Earth and humans from some of the nastier races out there. There are rumors they were protecting Earth even before that rogue Anunnaki group uplifted their primate slaves and created humans, and they might even have been monitoring life here on this planet since the very first single-cell critters emerged. After the Anunnaki did their thing and created us, they decided they would protect us as well, since they said we have potential to one day join the intergalactic community. The El Manuk aliens, who are kind of that classic alien-looking, super peaceful, they helped create the Council of Five, though they are not part of it. They are credited with coming up with a slogan that is echoed everywhere in the galaxy, five universes, 2,500 species, one race. Interestingly enough, we don't know very much about the five races that make up the Council of Five. We know that there are the Orella, who look kind of classic alien. There are the Ginvo, who look like thinner, bonier classic aliens. There are the Egarot, who look like large-headed human types. The Redon, who look kind of like the Nordics. And the Emether, who look like small-headed classic aliens. The Emether are sort of in charge of the Council of Five. And they're also one of the most respected races in the entire galaxy, as well as one of the most advanced and one of the oldest races. Representatives of their race met with top Soviet officials three times and Roosevelt three times. They actually requested to meet with Richard Nixon when he was president, but he thought they might be dangerous or perhaps were spying for the Russians, so he refused. There are a number of humanoid races that are friendly to us as well. There are the Gracely who supposedly come from two home planets in the Virgo star system, though there is no such thing as a Virgo star system. They look like humans, about our height, but they have enormously big heads. They look kind of like big babies covered in short, silky hair. 
They have very small ships that only seat six. They visited Earth at least 12 times, the first time about 3,000 years ago in Egypt during the Third Dynasty when they spent 10 years hanging out with the pharaoh Djoser. His burial pyramid, called the Djoser Pyramid, was built partly in their honor. Since the early 1800s, they've been keeping a closer eye on things here on Earth because some human-looking alien races have been interfering with and misleading influential humans, feeding them misinformation about the galaxy. There are the Ramay, goldish human types with long cone heads and somewhat Asiatic features. They are very concerned with what will happen to us humans. The Smud, which the book says they come from the planet Svok in the constellation Battery, but there is no such constellation. Kind of look like humans. They've colonized 20 planets, 18 of which already had beings living there. They first visited Earth 2,500 years ago, and they're very interested in our religious beliefs and systems. Their ships are like tall, rounded pyramids. Some other alien races say that the species is weakening and that the Smod only have six ships left. And we'll talk about the Vinitavari. They look also kind of like very wise babies, about human height, big foreheads, heavy-lidded eyes. They can live up to 2,000 of our years. Very peaceful, very well-respected by other alien races. They're thought to have advanced mystical powers. They're vegetarians, and they prefer not to interact with humans. Not all reptilian and reptoid races are jerks. There are some that are okay, or at least not outwardly evil. There's the Tengri Tengri, which the book says is in Galactic Sector 56 Star System F1342, which sounds really nice and specific, but there's no such thing. Galactic sectors are not used by Earth astronomers. However, they are used in Star Wars and Star Trek. Anyway, they look kind of reptilian. They've got these weird, like almost like tentacles for hair. They live underground, do not need air or water, and they have a small population of around 10 million or so. They make really big ships. One ship could hold 5 million of them so they just need two ships for their entire species. They've been in contact with human ruling castes and governments for all of human history. They like sharing the history of the galaxy with us, especially things that have happened here on Earth. They and the Golden Coneheads, the Ramay, and also the Jeffolk, have been among the most forthcoming with humans about what's what out there in the cosmos. And there are the Tsar Three. Don't know where they're from, but it takes two years for them to get here. They're all that's left of a now extinct reptoid race, but they have many human features, like human skin. They're less technologically advanced than other races who come here, though obviously still more advanced than we are, maybe indicating they're fairly new to the intergalactic scene. As such, perhaps we could learn some things from them. In 1977 or 78, two of them landed a craft behind a ruined church not far from Siena, Italy, were captured by the Italians and then transferred to an American base and taken someplace else, some think to a base in the Pacific near Japan. Boo hiss the bad guys. And some aliens are just outright jerks, directly hostile to us, maybe others, and possibly bent on dominating our world. The reptilians. the reptilians. These are the intergalactic villains. They come from somewhere in the constellation Draco the Dragon. They're actually comprised of three different separate but related races. They make no distinctions between them. Some of them can shapeshift. Some of them have telepathy. And some individuals can do both. 
Unlike most other races, the reptilians can travel interdimensionally and, if they can achieve the highest level of their strict hierarchical society, the Draco Group, they can also gain the power to become invisible. They are hated and feared by most other alien races. The reptilians have super advanced technology, but they prefer to work in the background, insinuating their way into a culture and a society. Remember, some of them can shapeshift. This is how they've acquired more than 500 colony worlds. They also like abducting human females and creating reptilian-human hybrids with them. They have permanently been here on Earth for at least the last 15,000 years, and maybe even for a million years or so before that. They have at least three permanent underwater bases, one off the coast of Denmark, one off the coast of New Zealand, and a third near the Bermuda Triangle. The reptilians are in contact with some world leaders today, notably in the U.S. and Russia. Henry Kissinger, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, and George W. Bush have all had regular contact with them. Members of the Draco Elite Group were founding members of the Illuminati in Bavaria back in 1776, and they have infiltrated the highest levels of the Freemasons, though most Masons, to be fair, are unaware of the reptilians' presence or their plans. They're still here today in large numbers, and many think that they're here to stay unless somebody can kick them off the planet. Some conspiracy people think that many powerful and influential humans are in fact reptilians, but that is a whole nother episode. The Maitre Alliance. So the other main antagonists here on Earth are the Maitre. The KGB book says they come from the constellation Megopel, but there is no constellation named that. They look like classic aliens, but with a kind of permanent angry look on their face. They're about human-sized and live about 120 years. They're hermaphrodites, housing both male and female reproductive organs. They're considered by most aliens as a parasite race because they prey upon other races and they are colonizers having taken over 26 planets and they really want to add Earth to their holdings. But they have been stopped by the Council of Five. They openly abduct humans, at least 5,000 human males in 200 visits to Earth so far. They are horrifically violent and aggressive. They are responsible for many tragic events in human history, including wars and plagues. And they have an agreement with the reptilians that the human population should never get above 8 billion, which incidentally it's on track to hit in 2024. So expect big doings. They have a widespread alliance with other aggressive races. They're credited as saying, as long as there are stars, there will be war. Anyway, they're total jerks, and probably only the reptilians are hated more. They also have a slave race of high-functioning, immortal, non-organic beings called the X-5 Tikut, which the Matra created. They're quite smart slaves. They can think and pilot ships and do many other tasks. However, they are made of very, very rare materials, so there are only 300 of them or so. They look kind of like classic aliens with an abnormally large head. The Mazarek are kind of classic alien-looking creatures, about five feet tall. They're part of the Matra Alliance. They are also extremely aggressive and easily engage in violence over the smallest thing. They were actually quarantined by other aliens to their own planet from the 1300s until the early 20th century. After that quarantine was lifted, they immediately made their way back here to Earth. Another ally is the Gigantique, which obviously sounds like the word gigantic. Kind of reptilian slash elephantine looking, quite violent. Been coming here to Earth for 3,000 years. They have regular contact with three Earth governments, but not the U.S., Russia, or China. Hmm, who could they be? 
And the last member of the nasty alliance is the Kilimir Auk. Also kind of reptile looking. They're allies with the Maitre, but for some reason the Maitre forbade them from visiting Earth somewhere around 1000 BCE, and they've never been allowed back here. So we know that they're allies, but we don't know much about them. Thus, they are a mystery race. Other, Other jerk, jerk aliens. aliens. So that's the Maitre and their buddies, but there are plenty of other nasty customers as well. The Alcobata, kind of classic alien looking with wrinkled or ridged skin and five knobs of bone arranged horizontally across the tops of their heads and giant deep set eyes that almost look like big black holes in their heads. Extremely aggressive, yet they do not like mixing with other alien races. Perhaps they think they're just too special. They have over 100 colony worlds and a fleet of over 5,000 ships. They're known as one of the parasite races. They frequently abduct humans for unknown purposes, and they may have been involved in several airplane crashes, notably the 1983 crash of Korean Airlines Flight 007, which the Soviets said that they accidentally shot down, but that was just to cover up the involvement of the Alcobata aliens. The Caraveldi are nasty customers, very aggressive towards all other races, including humans. They have several long-standing wars with various races, some of which have lasted more than 500 of our years. The good news is they seldom come to Earth. They live about 150 years. They're very tall, about 9 feet, 3 meters. They have four arms and faces that look kind of like a cross between a lizard and a cat. The Dorsey, they look kind of classic alien. They got those big eyes and the kind of triangular head, but with a split, almost horned-looking head. If you've ever played the Mass Effect games, the Salarians look just like them. They're small, however. They only get up to about 0.5 meters, or about a foot and a half tall. They visit Earth a lot. They're a very old race, at least 4 billion years old. They live in an almost constant state of war with some other races. There's one war that has been ongoing for 2 billion years. They also eat humans and other races. So small, nasty cannibal buggers. The Drees are very tall, about 8 feet tall, 2.5 meters. Very classic alien looking, but with an extremely complicated skull structure. They visited Earth at least 20 times. They carry out abductions. They've nabbed at least 520 men and women who they use in human reproduction experiments, maybe to make hybrids, nobody knows. They have 40 colony planets, 10 of which they took by force. They use a slave population as muscle. They eat animal protein. They have a loose alliance with three other nasty races, but the book doesn't say which ones. Other aliens think the Drees are not mentally or spiritually advanced enough to play nice with others. However, the Drees have plans to openly reveal their existence to humans in 2022. The Indugukt, or the Tall Whites, are tall and white. They have extremely long necks with a kind of a reptile-ish looking face. Real big, huge bone ridges over their eyes and over their cheeks and their mouths. They have several bases on the moon, which they mine, and they use slaves to do most of their work. However, slaves are actually an important part of their culture, and so they treat their slaves pretty well. 
They have the ability to shapeshift into an almost perfect human form, and these are the men in black. When they take on that role, they wear special dark suits to protect their skin, then they come down here on Earth to conduct operations. They're in almost permanent contact with high-ranking officials from the United States, China, and Russia. They abduct humans frequently. The abductees are tested in a number of different ways, and the more intelligent ones are told whatever the hell their big plans are. About four out of every 10 of the human abductees agree with the plans and go along with it. They are still slaves, but they are treated especially well and are trained up to eventually return here to Earth, furthering the Tall White's plans in positions of authority and influence. The other 60% of the humans are sent off to other planets to be slaves there. The Kili Tokurt is an ancient race that lives about 200 years. They can grow up to about 2 meters, 6 feet or so. They can shape-shift, but their eyes stay the same. That's how you can tell. But if they don't want to be seen, it's very hard for human brains to focus on them. They abduct humans. The Hav Hanuea Chandras are from another galaxy, the Sexton's Dwarf Spherodial Galaxy, which is a satellite galaxy of the Milky Way, about 320,000 light years from here. They first came here to Earth in 934 CE, arriving in the country we now call Romania. They are pale, creepy humanoids abducting humans and animals to drink their blood. They are the source of the myths of vampires. Their existence is known to many Earth governments who let them do what they got to do, I would assume in exchange for technology or information. The bodies of their abductees are never seen again. The Lang, one of the very first races to visit Earth, they look like very attractive humans with white hair, blue skin, and mottling on their foreheads, noses, and cheeks. The legends of fairies come from sightings of and interactions with them. And like the fairy folk, they're not especially nice and quite capricious. They like to brag that they've abducted millions of humans over the centuries, but other races dispute that. And in fact, one alien race says they're totally lying and they have never abducted a single human. So who knows? A group of them was last seen in New Zealand in 2006. The Negumak or Gnompo, one of the oldest races in the galaxy, but recent arrivals here, they first only came to Earth in 1989. These are weird bug-like aliens with fan-like heads that take humans and use a sort of a mind control to take over their minds. It was either they or the Matraks who were the inspiration for the aliens in the 1996 film Independence Day. The Tanzani, no idea what they look like because the picture in the book is outrageously distorted, but maybe kind of like a stingray. They get about five feet tall and they live about 500 years. Super technologically advanced, but also super aggressive and avoided by most other aliens. They like studying how different races deal with tragedies and disasters. That's their hobby. They claim to have killed hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of humans. Another alien race says that the Tanzani are responsible for both the Hindenburg and Titanic disasters. A message, A message for, for us. us. It should come as no surprise that the 2,500 plus races that hang around in our galaxy have many of the same big questions that we have, notably, who created the universe and where do we all come from? 
The golden cone-headed Ramai and the kind of scary-looking but peaceful Jeffok have communicated their findings and warnings to human leaders at various times, including various religious leaders, notably John Paul I in the 20th century and God El Haq in 1982. JFK was actually given this message on October 3, 1963, just before he was killed. The message is a series of single sentences and phrases, but the essence of it is this. There is a creator, and the creator's name is She. She created the universe, and then a pure first race, capital letters, and then all subsequent races came afterwards. The first race was perfect, and all subsequent races must struggle to achieve spiritual purity. All cultures have echoes of her on Earth. She is Artemis and Diana in our collective memories from Greek mythology. She has different names on different planets. She is an abstract concept and a physical presence at the same time. Conscious minds perceive space and time by interacting with her. I know this is pretty metaphysical stuff. We humans are having a difficult time right now because we have created societies in which men dominate and women are second class. This is a mistake and greatly slows our progress. This harmful division of genders has been partly promoted by galactic races that are interfering with human development and they wish to keep us from reaching our full potential. In order for us to reach that potential, men and women must become more united, more thinking of ourselves as a single species. And when we do that, we will become closer to she. It's not just a spiritual war. The Anunnaki created us, but there are plenty of races out there who would be happy to destroy us. We have about 2,000 Earth years to basically get it together. If we don't get it together by then, it will be too late. The Council of Five can protect us from outside threats, but it cannot protect us from ourselves. The truth that is true here is the same in the other four universes and dimensions. She, the creator, is only a creator. She is not a destroyer. Oh, well, that sounds very nice. So there is a sort of abstract but also physical creator entity. It is feminine in nature and human beings need to stop thinking in terms of division and start thinking in terms of unity, especially the way that we treat women. Not the worst message we could have received. Weird, Weird tidbits, tidbits from, from Aliens, aliens. aliens. The book also has just a whole bunch of little snippets here and there that kind of help illuminate some of the things in that rather cryptic message that the Jeffok and the Ramey sent us. Some of them were messages face-to-face, -face, some of them were transmissions, some, it says, were obtained voluntarily and or under custody and distress. So clearly we have, uh, we have interrogated various aliens that we've encountered. Here are some of the things that we have learned. We humans are well known for having violent tendencies, but we are nothing compared to the Maitre. As one race said, it is like comparing a flower to a volcano. Aliens have been fighting in our skies for ages with each other. Between 900 CE and the mid-19th century, there were at least 50 such battles. Many people saw these, and artists of the time painted images of what they'd seen or heard about, and then the Catholic Church has spent a lot of time and effort tracking down these images and destroying them, so there are only 10 of them left. The Tunguska explosion in Siberia in 1908 is known as the Day of Shame by many alien races visiting here. It's the result of a battle in our atmosphere between the nasty-looking Maitre and the small human-eating Dorsey, the Nordic Pleiadians, and the El Manok, who helped start the Council of Five. 
On his last voyage to the New World, Columbus found advanced alien schematics and scientific papers that proved electromagnetism and gravity are actually one force, and he brought these back to Spain. Albert Einstein found these and a metal object in a cave in Spain, tipped off by his Illuminati connections, and tried to work these into a unified field theory. The Philadelphia experiment was a test of some of these principles. The first two attempts failed. The third succeeded, but then destroyed the apparatus, so they've never been able to replicate the experiment. Eisenhower and Churchill met several times in the 50s to try and figure out how to hide the knowledge of aliens from public. They formed a super, super covert group codenamed SILK. Reports were given face-to-face and nothing was ever written down. The answer to the skeptics' question of, well, if there are aliens, why don't we have any credible evidence is, first off, we do, but such evidence has been falsified, substituted with red herrings, or confiscated or destroyed. Worldwide, about 65% of UFO or alien-themed websites are disinformation sites run by secret government agencies. There is a multidimensional space portal in the Bermuda Triangle, and several races use the area to abduct humans for experiments. Area 51 is a base jointly run by humans and reptilians, with four other races forcibly conscripted into the effort as well. Security for the base is run by humans working with the Maitre. In 2003, the Chinese National Space Administration got a response to the plaques that were placed on the Pioneer 10 and Pioneer 11 spacecraft, but they refused to share the contents of that message with anyone. One of the reasons why there are so many aliens here is not because of humans, but because of Earth itself. There is something unusual about this planet, and it has been under observation way before the Anunnaki ever got here. It's not quite clear as to what exactly it is that makes Earth so special, but it's something about its particular location. The aliens have said, your planet has only less than 1% of what many races that visit you want or need, but your planet is in the right place for all of them. Your planet just happens to be in the right place at the right time. Having said that, there is something interesting about us humans as well. After all, we're made up of a bunch of different DNA from a bunch of different races. And some aliens, including the Council of Five, have decided that we have not only the potential to not wipe ourselves out and join the galactic community, but to become rather important in that community. Now, maybe this is just wishful thinking because we come from this special place. Maybe they really do see actual potential in us. Other races just don't care. Some other races have also noted that, well, we also have the potential to become one of the jerk races. They also warn that we've been misled by alien races and we've grown up a little bit too fast. The Council of Five will continue to protect us until the day that we tell them not to anymore, but we have to keep in mind that they do have five known universes and five different dimensions to deal with, so they can't be here all the time. They note that we have a strange tendency to fight amongst ourselves. Almost no other race does this. Humans are unique in that we will have wars with our own species. And this is partly perhaps because we do not conceive of ourselves as a single species. They also say no other race in all the 2,500 races ridicules as easily, readily, and frequently as humans. So we're not important, and yet we have the potential to be important in either a negative or positive way. Well, that is a fascinating story. 
That's kind of the purpose of this episode, to give you some raw material to go out there and do what Mr. Gil Carlson, who I'm assuming is the author of all of this, this guy is creating an astonishing amount of material, all of it incredibly detailed, incredibly well thought out, incredibly connected, and yet instead of writing a TV series or a film series or books, he instead assembles it together in a kind of a slipshod way with typos and then sells it for somewhere between 3 and $12. I can't help but just wonder what is going on. Why isn't this person out there creating a media empire for themselves. So maybe that's what you, the listener, should do. Take this material and you have got an enormous amount of raw material that you can shape into as many different stories as you care to. I, for one, look forward to seeing what you do with it all. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.